Welcome to the Must Love Self Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I'm your host. Every week, I get to interview a beautiful, courageous, strong woman who is willing to share her ugly and beautiful with the world. Must Love Self is a podcast, a movement, and a decision. It is about women lifting other women up, women holding each other women accountable, and women finding their way along this path. I hope you enjoy. La, 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 la. I am so happy to have you on here, Melinda. I want to welcome you. Will you say hello to everybody? Hi, thank you for tuning in and thank you for having me on here. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I can't wait to get started because every time I open up my little Zoom and I see a new beautiful woman's face and I'm like, how are we going to connect today? And we will because we're talking about some real stuff. So it's not, what do you do? How many kids do you have? We're talking about real stuff. So why did you say yes to this interview? I know that somebody out there needs to hear my story. I know somebody out there is sitting in a funk or feeling lonely out there right now, unsure what to do, unsure about themselves. So I know I need to share my story. I love what you just said about someone out there needs to hear my story. It's probably my number one core belief that everyone has a story and everyone's story needs to be told. And it feels really awesome when we get to tell ours and when someone else needs to hear it. So I'm so grateful that you're here. I asked a question on my forum about how old are you? Because I think it's important as women that we get over this whole idea that our age, we shouldn't be proud of it. And what did you say? 50 and fabulous. So did you ever have a time where you were worried about aging or you didn't want to talk about your age or have you always been okay with it? No, actually there was a time and it was just because I came from an abusive past with my ex now ex, uh, he wanted to do everything he could in order to keep me youthful and youthful looking. So I was actually ashamed of my wrinkles, my lines that I had in my face and stretch marks and so on. So I was actually very intimidated by age and needing to dye my hair if there was any signs of gray. That was something I had to do. So I couldn't really be comfortable in my own skin or my own age. I love that you just said that you had to do and it's so interesting when I ask this question because everyone's got their own reasoning why age is an uncomfortable topic. I want everyone to understand and must love self that like I honor the longer you've been on the earth, the more you have to share, the more I want to know. So my first question is a rating and I don't want to make you uncomfortable if you don't want to rate, but I want you to rate yourself in these three areas if you're willing to. The first is going to be your body and the scale I want you to rate it on is not am I a seven or a 10 is a one is I'm really mean to myself about my body. And a 10 is I am kind to myself about my body and whatever that means for you. Where would you be today? You know, I'm going to say an eight. I am, awesome. you know, if you would have interviewed me about 12 plus years ago, girl, I would have told you that I was a one, but I've come to feel comfortable in my old skin. Every once in a while, I look in the mirror and it's like, ooh, you know, I kind of cringe, but, um, you know, I, I earned every wrinkle. I earned every stretch mark. I was blessed to be able to have kids. And that's what those are all about. And yeah, every once in a while though, it's like, oh, those, those girls, you know, the, the two girls here aren't as, um, as perky as they once were, but <laughs> I'm a lot better. I really am. I've done a lot of my own personal work in order to get myself to where I am right now to feel comfortable about looking in the mirror. 
I can't wait to get to that. And what I want to also remind myself and, and everyone listening, you just hit on something that's so important that we are not considerate of. And I'm, I've definitely not been considerate of when we complain for women who've had children, who've been lucky enough to have children, when we are complaining about our post baby bodies or what I used to look like before I had children, what we're not realizing is that we're putting that out into the universe. And there are women who suffer from infertility that is unimaginable. We can't even fathom the pain and all that comes with it. So I want to invite all of us that are listening to stop complaining out loud to other people about our bodies now that we've had children, because there are women that would give anything for our stretch marks and our scars and our saggy, whatever, if it means that they could have someone to love. So thank you. Yes, exactly. I really, I'm grateful for that. What would you rate your own ability to know your work? I would say a 10. Yay. (laughs) And then about 12 plus years ago, it was really low. It was very low. Yes. Yes. I had no self-worth. I had no self-worth at all. I look at myself in the mirror, in the eyes. I was in the same place as you for a different reason, but it's a horrible feeling to see yourself in the mirror and to not be able to relate at all to that person and to hate what you're seeing back at you. Tell me what you would rate. And this one, I always have to separate out. How would you rate your own ability to use your voice to advocate for yourself, not for your kids or someone else you love or something you care about, but for what you need? I would say a 10. Yay. Yes. And also low when same time period. Okay. I'm guessing in that abusive relationship, you had no voice. I had no voice. No, I didn't. And I noticed there were physical effects with that too, that I can get into a little bit later. We will. So I want to go back to when you're a little girl and I always find it interesting to look at what messaging we saw or heard, whether it was clear to us or it was passive from our mothers or the women around us or society of what a woman should or shouldn't look like, should or shouldn't behave like. You know, my mom was very, my mom's gorgeous. So she was always a positive role model. I never heard her say anything ill of herself. I never heard her say, oh, you know, I look really ugly. I look really, I don't like this pimple on my face. I never had that. She was always very positive when she looked. I'd watch her make her face in the morning. Yeah, I never had that where she would like, oh, I look awful in this dress. So I would say it was very positive. Definitely very positive experience for me as a child. And at what point, because you mentioned that your own body image, at what point were you aware of, you said you have really dark circles under your eyes and a birth defect in your left ear. At what point was this an issue for you that you were aware of? That was when I was in grade school and somebody else actually pointed it out. Of course. Hey kids, (laughs) we're all so mean. Yes. It was a girl that pointed it out. Otherwise I wouldn't have even paid attention to that. What happened? Will you tell us about it? Well, you know, she's like, what happened to your eyes? Did you get a black eye? And I did have childhood abuse too, but no, it was just, I have allergies and so on. I didn't know it back then. I didn't even think anything of it, but she's like, what happened to your eyes? Why are they black? Why do you have black eyes? Who hit you? And it's like, no one hit me. Well, what's wrong with you? And it made me so self-conscious. Can I just say something? So the overwhelming message I hear on every interview that makes me want to cry is there's nothing wrong with you Mm -hmm. that I wish I could come to you in that class and pull you aside in the hall and be like, do not listen to her. But I know it happened to me too, right? I had, I have, they call me patch the pony because I'm legally blind and mm-hmm. one of my, you know, I had to wear stuff and kids always look for whatever's different, not wrong. We, right. it's not, but they find something different and they, they say these things and I'm raising three kids and I'm very, very open with them about like, 
I literally never want to hear a report that you made someone feel bad about right. how they were or looked or acted because that's so unfair, right? But I'm guessing, did that become one of the voices in your head that there's something wrong with you? Yes. Oh, yeah. I immediately ran home and just checked myself out in the mirror. It's like, why do I have these circles? What What is that? And I never noticed that. I really didn't. Did you talk about it with your mom? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I was too embarrassed. Yeah. And then tell us about the birth defect. At what point did that become an issue for you? Again, it was in school. I never really noticed, uh, but my mom did keep my hair really, uh, really long. But I didn't really notice that uh, it was a big problem until somebody pointed it out at school. I put my hair behind my ears and it um, was noticeable. Somebody like, oh, what happened? Spock, you got a spocky ear. And uh, yeah, that made me feel very, you know, what happened? Did someone burn you? And I explained that happened when I was a baby and I can't hear out of that. And they're like, oh, you can't hear. And it was just, just mean kids. That makes my heart hurt for you. So as you've got these voices telling you there's something wrong with you and then you're getting self-conscious how did that end up playing out in your life did that affect your worth or your ability to use your voice as you were growing up I you know I think to some respect some of that made me a little stronger but it was once I got into um, I was actually in married the person that was my abuser but I met him when I was a teenager so when I had gotten into that relationship with him any imperfection, imperfections, I'm doing air quotes, that he saw. Wait, explain it, why you're doing air quotes. It, because <laughs> uh, he called them imperfections. I just call that, you know, that's the way God made me. But he thought they were imperfections. I had funny teeth, my ear, of course. He wanted to get plastic, plastic surgery on that. What can we do about your eyes? Hey, your boobs are really, we need to get you fixed up. And I can't even imagine all of that messaging. Like I was hard enough on myself internally, but having someone externally, I have a lot of interviews with women like you who have had really rough, whether it's their parents or their significant others or kids at school, just saying these mean things. And that becomes a voice that's in our head that we believe. Exactly. So as this is going on, was there ever a time, because I know that abusive relationships are very complicated and people on the outside that are like, why don't you just leave? Don't understand no. all of that. Can you explain that to our listeners, why it's so complicated? You know, there's so many different uh, facets of why a woman doesn't leave or a man, because it's, abuse can happen with men too. Uh, there's so many different facets, but you know, that inner mean, I call it inner mean girl that I had, but actually that voice in my head was his. And I, I tried to separate myself from him several times, even as a teenager, it just wasn't work. It didn't work because there was too many threats, threatened to kill my family, threatened to kill me, threatened to kill himself and so on and so on. So I stayed. And then later when I did marry him, you know, do you have time? <laughs> no, I want, I want to hear your story because I think something that is not talked about enough, I must love self is that our worth and our voice can really be affected not by body stuff, but by relationship stuff. Yes. And that if we're in a relationship with someone who is abusive, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, sexual, whatever it is, it is very hard to know what our worth is because we are consumed with this information from someone who is abusing us. And right. we believe there's something wrong with us. I'm never going to find someone else because they'll, they'll tell us that you're always going to be yeah, alone, right? It's going to be alone. And exactly. so it becomes really hard to trust ourselves to you. We can't use our voice for anything because we think we're worth nothing because they tell us that. So can you tell us a little bit about how the end ended up 
coming about that you got to a place where you're like, I can't stay any longer? Just actually what I was seeing him do to our kids. And I just, I knew I couldn't stay. It, there was a buildup. There was a gradual buildup where I knew in my mind that something wasn't right about this. This can't be all there is. I cannot envision myself for another 50 years with this person or, you know, not, let alone another year. But there's also a buildup with the physical violence that's going on in the home where things that he's doing to me are gradually getting a lot more abusive, a lot more to almost like to the point of like killing me. He would choke me until I would pass out, push me down the stairs, uh, threaten to kill me with knives and other things. Um, The people know. You know what? Everybody knew that he was a bully. But not to the extent. Yeah, not not to that extent. Uh, They knew he was always a bully, even in, in grade school and high school. So they didn't exactly know what was going on. He made sure that we were always, he never broke a bone. He would take it to that limit where I would have sprained this or sprained that, or he would pinch us or pull hair. He did other things. So he wasn't like some of the abusers that you might find that break bones or hit women or men with, you know, with uh, baseball bats and so on. He wasn't one of those. He didn't want to brag about it. There's, they call it covert abuse. He would do these things. He was manipulative about it. Very manipulative. If you met him on the street, he's like the nicest guy. He sounds like a narcissist. Yeah. Shirt. Yes, yeah. ma'am. Take the shirt off his back and help you out. And he would do anything for you. But of course, it was always payback. It never came without uh, some sort of price to pay. But no one knew. I was a Girl Scout leader. I was a Cub Scout leader. I was a Sunday school teacher. I ran a business with his family. So on the outside, we looked like the perfect family. Yeah, he's a little rough around the edges, but no one really knew. Now, I'm sure our neighbors heard quite an earful. I'm sure they heard quite a lot, but uh, everyone kind of kept to themselves. Right. Who's going to say something? How uncomfortable is that? Right, right, right. Exactly. So, it was, so you mentioned before that when you started seeing it, it, ha- it affect your children. And this is something that I think is really interesting, whether we're talking about abuse or we're talking about our own I- internal abuse to our bodies or our worth is I'm hearing a lot of women, myself included, that when it's presented that their children could have to live the way that we're living, mm-hmm. we find the worth and voice and courage within us to mm-hmm. say, I might not be able to do this for myself, but I, they are our why. And mm-hmm. Right. That's where we find that. And it doesn't matter what it takes, because once we start pulling ourselves out is when the healing begins. So can you tell us about how you got to that place? That is exactly right. I knew that uh, a little bit back forward a few months or so or even a year or so, I knew I started. I knew this wasn't what God intended. I knew this wasn't a life I could see for me or my kids for the rest of my life. And I couldn't I didn't want them to see this relationship as normal. I didn't want them to know that love hurts right because you know everything repeats and cycles and you don't want that for your children right well I had no idea I actually didn't know I was abused until I left I left him several times the first time physically in 2007 I was a guest at a uh, shelter a woman's shelter so when I got there they informed me hey girl you've been abused and it's like what you know I had they said I think you have Stockholm syndrome and you might have PTSD and they started throwing these terms around it's like wait a minute right I'm not a firefighter I'm not a policeman I didn't serve in the military how could I have PTSD what do you mean I'm abused I grew up with this so it wasn't something this was normal it this was, was all you knew it was all I yes exactly so I didn't know when they started saying you know burning you know that I was abused something burning bed fear of faucet in the burning bed right or different other movies like well those ladies are abused i wasn't like that so can I- you define for people that are listening so they can understand that abuse 
doesn't just have to be right. Like you were saying, and it also doesn't have to only be physical. Exactly. But that's the way we think of it. We think of it just physical, but there is physical, there's financial abuse, there's spiritual abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's mental abuse, there's sexual abuse. Yes. Yes. And these can go on and they're so subtle. None none of this happened to me right out of the gate when I met him. He was sweet as pie, you know, but yet I also didn't listen to my intuition. My intuition was telling me to bolt. And I just kept shoving it down. I had some friends tell me, you know, he's a sweet guy. He helps here. He helps there. He's got, you know, he hangs out with these adults and they're elderly and he's really cool. And they're like, oh, okay. So I just pushed all that down and uh, I regretted that. I really did. I regretted that. You know what? I I want to tell you something. I want to hear about your wedding day for one second. I want to say something that something, a pattern I keep hearing from women is that we need to listen to our inner voice Yes. and that we're not. We, we're not trained to do that. We're not told, hey, you have wisdom within you. Yeah. And if you get quiet, you will know. Tell us about your wedding day. Yes. Uh, well, d- definitely true. And it also depends on your religious background, too. Mm-hmm. With uh, some religious backgrounds, you're not encouraged to have the woo or that intuition or, you know, it's not of God. It's It can be dangerous because it, those can be demons. Or, right. You know, that's not spiritual. Which, so again, is a lot of belief that's based on somebody else's idea of what is and isn't right. Exactly. So you just kind of discard that. And OK, so you go with the flow. So my wedding day is actually building up to that. Uh, he had said, if you don't marry me, I am going to kill your family. I'll do it. No one will know. It'll be painless. It might be a fire. It might be that the gas lines somehow cut and they'll die in their sleep. You'll never know. So that was a week before the wedding. So a week before the wedding, I am, I'm in a panic. I am I'm sick to my stomach. I've got headaches. I am feeling just, I want to run away. I'm hoping for some night <laughs> on a white horse to save me. I'm hoping someone will object at church. And even his sisters were like, um, during the wedding right before they're like are you sure and in my in my heart of hearts I wanted to scream or bolt and say take me away but I knew I couldn't because I was so worried about what was going to happen to my family what's going to happen to my mom what's going to happen to my dad is he going to kill them so I went through with it what a what a horrible place to be I'm so sorry that you had to deal with that and then tell me about how you got to the place where you needed to leave. Finally, after leaving him in 2007, I went back because I heard he had changed. He had several suicide attempts, which landed him in a hospital near us for observation. Well, during that time, I was told that, you know, he's changed. He's on medication now. He's okay. You know, you need to come back. He loves you. He misses you so much. And despite my thought of thoughts, I listened to his mom pushed down that intuition again, didn't listen to my guts. And I went back, I took him back. So it was great. There's like this stage when you get together with your, with this person, they are awesome. They are wonderful. They will wine you and dine you and say all the good things. Can I stop you for a second? You know, what's so interesting. So I'm a recovered alcoholic and what you're saying sounds a lot like when you go back to drinking Mm -hmm. in the beginning, it feels warm and you're like, Oh my God, why did we stop doing this? This is wonderful. And then that boomerang comes back and it's like, just kidding. And it's all there again. And I, I almost wonder when you've got someone who's got a mental illness and is doing the things that he was doing once you're back and it's no longer good anymore. How do you finally get to the place to leave? It slowly, he starts slipping. Then he was starting to say, okay, I'm not going to take my medication today. So you better be good or else. And I didn't want to find out what or else was. And he was becoming more physical sexually with me. 
and more physical with the kids. He was doing things that I didn't know that he was doing things with the kids uh, physically. I didn't find out until many years after we left. Um, but there was also a possibility of alleged molestation of one of my daughters that I didn't find out until much later. But he had actually made one of my daughters to feel shame that if mom divorces me, if she goes through with this, it's your fault. And this poor girl, I mean, you know, she's, she's just a young kid and she took the weight of the world on her shoulders. Just like you did. Exactly. It's the same pain, just transferred. Yes. And, you know, coming back, when you say that it was a cycle, my stepdad, I thought about it later. He really did the same thing. You know, um, if you tell anybody about what's going on in this house, I'm going to hurt your mom. And so I never, I was never vocal when I was. There's just so much weight on you and on her. And I just, I hate that that has been part of your story, but I also believe it's made you the woman you are today who can share that strength today. So once you found all this, once this is all coming out and he's slipping and he's or elsing, how do you finally get what you need to leave? In 2008, in the fall of 2008, my daughter called me. She's like, mom, dad's got um, my older son. He's got him on the ground outside. He's choking him. And she's I said, well, call the police. And she's scared. She's like, I can't do that. And she was like, he's coming. So she just hangs up and now I'm like, okay, I'm closing the store. I'm bolting there. So I get there, I get to the house and my ex is like, well, I call my ex now, my then husband. He's no, like, he's oh, your ex. He is my ex. <laughs> he <laughs> deserves <laughs> only ex. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, why are you home? I said, oh, I just played it off. You know, there was no business. Because he didn't want to get her in trouble. Exactly. So I said, I just wanted to close up the shop. I am home. Say, what's going on? I tried, girl, I would have gotten to ask her. I had to, but you have, that's what you have to do when you're in this sort of relationship. You do have to put on that actress or actor in order just to survive. You're in survival mode. So, and I see my son, he looks like he had just been done crying. His neck is red. It's beet red. And I said, baby, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, mom, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I just, I messed up. And dad and I talked about it and I'm okay now. It's like, whoa. And that was such a light bulb moment in the car racing there. It's like, we got to go now. But I couldn't go then because he had just got, he was in construction. He still is. And he has his time off during the winter and fall. So there was never a right moment that I saw that I could leave, but I started planning. And I enlisted the help of my uh, sister and my dad and my mom to help me with that move. You finally, you finally let them know, like, we need out and we need help. Exactly. I can't do this I by myself. I didn't tell the kids until the night before. They had no idea. I had made plans with the school several weeks before to tell them that I was pulling them out. And I made, um, I, girl, I had to save pennies, literally save pennies because he monitored my budget and what money I had in my wallet. He monitored the gas. So I had to be very careful. Um, but I had to count my pennies just to open up a checking account. I, it took me forever. It took me a long time just to get $25 together because he had such control over. I, find I want people to hear that it's not as simple as they think. Oh, why don't you just leave? Like right. you had so much to plan and organize. So you're doing all of this. You finally get what you need to leave. Will you tell us about how the leaving and aftermath has made you who you are today? Oh, sure. But you're right though. It's not easy just to leave. Like you said, oh, just go. I didn't have a car. And what am I gonna do without a car? I'll have to take the van. Well, I can't afford insurance. So all these things are not only just the physical stuff, but also what's going to happen to me when he finds out I'm gone, but where am I going to live? But luckily my sister took us in. I don't have a job. I walked away from the family business. 
now I don't have any health insurance because I have um, health issues. What about the kids? Kids have health issues. We don't have insurance now. So there was a lot of other little things too that I had to think about and kind of plan and figure out, well, how are we going to survive? How am I going to live with these little ones with no money? Just that $25 that I squirreled away. And so I just did it because I had to take that leap. I had to take that leap to know that, to encourage the kids that we can start a new life, that this we're going to leave this past behind. It wasn't that easy. And for anybody out there listening, I would like to tell you that it's all rainbows and unicorns after you leave. But honestly, the first, and I'm a truth, I'm all about truth. Me too. The first 72 hours that you leave are, can be very dangerous because that person is looking for you. Of course, they're going to be, oh, I'm worried about you, girl. I'm sorry, I can't find you. Then they'll be apologetic. Oh, I love you. I'm sorry. And then it'll turn to anger. They'll be very angry. Why can't I find you? Why won't you? I want you now and that sort of thing. And they'll go start looking for you, calling everybody in creation, tracking down everybody on social media, even driving around looking for you. So please, I don't want to discourage anybody out there, but I don't want to sugarcoat it either. It's very dangerous, but please find some sort of safety plan. And that's what I had to do. I had to make sure that I was taking care of myself just to, you know, put your head on swivel, always looking, being aware of my surroundings, knowing where everything was, my keys, my purse at all times. I had to start living that way for me and the kids to keep us safe. But once we did finally leave, it was, I had my first night's sleep in over 20 years when I left him. Because he would use sleep deprivation as one of the tactics. Um, no one can see that. They just think you're a busy mom. Yes, exactly. Well, even my doctor, when I went to my doctor, because I was having like heart palpitations and I said, you know, something's not right. He, he saw what was going on. He goes, I think you're having some anxiety, but I think you might need to get help for it, you and your, your husband. And it's like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, I, I see things. So, but he did put me on some medication to help with the, the anxiety so how have you gotten to this place today, 12, 13 years later, where you are a woman who sees your worth and is able to use your voice? How have you gotten to this place where you can smile and you feel the way that you do? My greatest, at first it was the greatest bit of revenge was to let him see how happy I was. But then it's like, you know, it's not all about him. It's about me. It's about yes. where I want to be, who Melinda is, who Melinda wants to be, who, where do I see myself and, and who do I see myself with? And maybe I took baby steps a month from now. Where do I want to be? Two months, three months. I did vision boards. I'm very woo. So I did vision boards. I smudged. I did crystals. <laughs> I did read my Bible. I did a lot of verses and prayer affirmations. I did mirror work. I just did a lot of physical work on myself. I would exercise, do grounding. I snatched up whatever self-help book I can find. Because you needed it. I did. I was, it was like I was thirsty, girl. I was you thirsty were. in order to find myself. I wanted to find who I was again and who I was without abuse. Who was I? I didn't even know because again, since childhood, I really didn't even get to know my likes or dislikes. Well, except tomatoes. I don't like tomatoes. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know my worth. I really had no clue. And I had to find that and figure out what I like. I had to learn that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not what I like. I wanted to find out who I like and what I like. And the no means no. Girl, I did not know I could say no and not have repercussions. I didn't know a, such a thing as boundaries. I had no idea what that was. It sounds like once you left, after you had to make all those plans and arrangements, 
and did and are doing probably for the rest of your life, because we all are, and you will for sure, you are building your own worth. Mm -hmm. And from that foundation of your worth, you are able to strongly use your voice and to protect your children as that mama bear today and to show up for society in a way that you could never have done that. And it all started with you doing what you needed to do to protect your children as a mother and then yourself. I did mourn for that relationship, even though I knew. Right. It, it was all time. you knew. Exactly. And I did mourn. Uh, we tried counseling just so anybody out there knows. I did go to my pastor and ask, you know, hey, this is what's going on. He says, girl, you know what? Well, he didn't say girl, but he's like, you know what the Bible says about abuse? I just wasn't buying that. I, I just I did everything. I thought I should really and truly do in order to save the marriage, but it was bigger than that. It was um, him too. And I took the weight of that relationship thinking I was to blame. You took so much. You took so much on you. I want to invite you to lightning round and I'm really excited to do this with you. If you could go back to yourself on that drive home after you got that call from your daughter with the understanding that you couldn't leave immediately, what would you say to yourself then to help you along the way from the person you are today? Breathe. Hmm. Really and truly breathe. It's going to be okay. You'll get through this. I love that. What would your eight-year-old self say to you now? It's going to be tough, but I promise you it'll be worth it. What does it mean to be beautiful? Loving every bit of yourself, even the imperfections. Even the toes. Even the toes, yes. (laughs) People don't know this, but I'm making Melinda paint her toes and send me a picture and I'm not posting it because it's our own little thing, but (laughs) she's going to honor those toes that God gave her. Challenge accepted. What does it mean to be a strong woman? It means being everything that you can be without giving up your respect, without giving up your dignity and without giving up bits of you. I have an extra question for you because of what you've shared how would you counsel your daughter if she was in the same situation as you? Oh, girl, I've been there. Just be honest. That's what I've done. I had to be honest with her. I had to show her uh, love and respect and to let her know that no matter what her decision was or is to remain with that person, that I still love her, but I'll always be here for her. I, she can contact me any time of the day. I will drop everything to help her. Because you've been there. Yes. What do you want others to say about you? Just that I'm strong. I overcame and I just want to leave a a mark. I didn't want to be one of those nameless faces or faces out there that you see on, on Facebook or something, you know, she survived abuse. I wanted to be somebody that can have her own voice to say, yes, I did. And I overcame. I hope you're sharing this story because you have so much hope to offer humans. I do. And actually the name of my uh, Facebook page is hope when there was none. I have two last questions. If you found out that you only have six months left to live, how would you want to spend the rest of your time? Well, just as I am now, I never thought I would live to see the age of 50. Everything that I've done right now, if the Lord plans to take me home right now, I've lived a full life. Last words. You get one piece of advice for every woman that's listening to hear. What do you want to say? You're not alone. You're not crazy. And I totally understand what you're going through. If you need someone to talk to, by all means, message me, message me privately, or get help. The hotline.org is a great resource for you too. I'm going to include that in our show notes in a way to connect with you. I'm so grateful for your time. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate, review, and share with your lady friends. If you're ready to do the work it's going to take 
to love yourself as you are, your body, your worth, and your voice, please reach out to me at carlyisrael.com and we can connect. I offer one-on-one private coaching virtually as well as small intimate groups. It's going to take a ton of work and a lot of commitment on your part, but I promise to be in your corner. I hope you have an amazing day and I hope you spread the light you feel with others so they can feel it too. La 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 la